What does the Bible say about eating meat? What is the purpose of clean and unclean animals? And did the food loss change in the New Testament? It's time to unlearn the lies. Hey, welcome to Unlearn. My name is Lex, and I'd like to invite you to join us each week as we unlearn the lies and dig deeper into the truth of God's Word. Now let's get started. Many Christians believe that the food laws in the Bible have been abolished and that we can now eat anything we want. They often say the laws concerning clean and unclean animals were only for the Jews and no longer apply to believers today. But what does the Bible really say about this? First, I want to look at what the Bible says about clean and unclean animals. Then we'll examine what the New Testament says about the food laws. The food laws are broken up into four categories, land animals, sea creatures, birds, and creeping things. Each of these sections contain instructions about how to determine what is clean and unclean. Although some animals are listed specifically, the Bible does not provide us with a full list of clean and unclean animals, but it does give us instructions on how to determine which animals can be eaten. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those who chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. The Bible specifically mentions swine as being unclean, but the prophet Isaiah also had this to say about eating swine. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things in their vessels. God calls us rebellious for eating swine, and he says we are provoking him to anger for doing so. Then in chapter 66, he says that those who eat swine will be destroyed. Eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Did God change his mind about eating pig? Keep these verses in mind as we continue. Now let's look at which sea creatures we are allowed to eat. Those you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas and in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. So the only sea creatures we can eat are the fish that have fins and scales. This means no crab, lobster, squid, shrimp, or catfish. I used to eat all those things when I was in ignorance to God's instructions. But once I understood that God forbids those things, I stopped eating them. Now let's look at the birds God says are unclean for food. And those you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, and the falcon after its kind every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hopi, and the bat. There are a large number of birds that we are allowed to eat, and we're only prohibited from eating these certain birds. Notice they're the birds of prey, such as eagles, hawks, kites, falcons, and owls. 
as well as the scavengers such as vultures, buzzards, and ravens. It also forbids ostrich, stork, heron, and bat. I've never met anyone who wants to eat a vulture or bat. So the list of unclean birds doesn't really seem to be the main problem people have with the food laws in the Bible. The main issue seems to be with shellfish and pig. The Bible also gives us another list of unclean land animals concerning the creeping and crawling things. These also shall be unclean to you. Among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. I've heard people argue that the Old Testament laws have been abolished or that they no longer apply to Christians. They conveniently say this about the commandments they don't want to keep. However, there are a number of Old Testament laws that Christians do believe we should obey. For example, the laws concerning sexual immorality are typically enforced by most Christians. However, there is a growing number of Christians who now reject the laws concerning homosexuality. Homosexual proponents like to point out that Christians don't obey the food laws, and they indicate their hypocrisy for saying that homosexuality is an abomination, while they're eating unclean animals, which the Bible also calls an abomination. This is a very good point to consider as we look at these things. Can we condone one abomination and forbid another? If the Bible calls eating shrimp an abomination, how can we approve of that behavior while condemning homosexuality? When the Bible says something is an abomination, it's saying that those things are going against the created purpose. Eating unclean things is an abomination because that is not what it was created for. Likewise, homosexuality is an abomination because that is not what humans were created for. Did Yeshua really come to abolish God's commandments? Listen to what Yeshua said about thinking such things. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to make full. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is complete. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua is giving us a very clear declaration that he did not come to abolish the law. He also tells us that if we want to be great in the kingdom, that we must do and teach all of the commandments in the law. So we can't conclude that he abolished the food laws when he clearly said that he didn't. One of the most common verses people point to when claiming the food laws no longer apply is Mark chapter 7. So let's examine those verses and see what Yeshua is saying. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. So we see that the context of this passage is eating bread with unwashed hands. The Jews taught that ceremonial hand washing was required before eating anything. Traditionally, Jews wash their hands and say a blessing before eating any meal that includes bread. This tradition is unrelated to personal hygiene and is required even if their hands are already clean. The Talmud indicates that failing to wash your hands before a meal is a significant transgression. And one rabbi even said that eating bread without washing is like having sex with a prostitute. This is the mindset that the Pharisees were approaching Yeshua's disciples with. And this is why the Bible says they found fault with them for not washing their hands. This sets the context of what Yeshua says, so keep that in mind. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. Notice that Yeshua is referring to this ritual washing as a tradition of men. And he said they are placing their traditions above the commandments of God. Yeshua is not speaking against the commandments. He is speaking in favor of them. Again, we need to keep this in mind because many people try to use this passage to say that Yeshua is doing away with the food laws. However, how can he be scolding the Pharisees for not obeying God's commandments, then turn around and say, we don't have to obey God's commandments? That's absurd. Now let's look at the verse that people like to cite as evidence that we don't need to obey the food laws anymore. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? If you look at this verse in other translations, you might see a translator's note in parentheses that says something about Jesus declaring all foods clean. For example, this is what the NIV says, For it does not go into the heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. There are two things we must realize. Declaring all foods clean does not mean all animals are food. Yeshua is not redefining food here. The second thing we need to realize is that the words in parentheses are not in the original text. Those words are placed there by translators. The entire context of this section is about eating bread with unwashed hands. It has nothing to do with meat at all. So the context does not allow for us to interpret his words in such a way that we can conclude that eating unclean animals is now permitted. The next section of scripture that we need to look at is Peter's vision. People often claim that Peter's vision was about making all animals clean for food. But is that what the Bible really says? Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up to heaven again. Notice that he argued with God, saying, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Not only does this show us that Peter never ate anything unclean, but it also supports the fact that Mark 7 was not about making unclean animals clean. If Yeshua had already declared all animals are good for food, then why would Peter be having an argument with God about it? The idea that he would eat an unclean animal was unthinkable to him, and he wondered what the vision might have meant. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, and go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. 
Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Peter wondered what the vision meant, because he understood that it was not about food. While he was thinking about it, the men Cornelius sent showed up to call for him. It's important to note that Cornelius was a Gentile. Now listen to the conclusion that Peter made concerning his vision. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go in to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? This was the first time Peter gave the interpretation of his vision, and he said, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. But this was not the only time he explained his vision. When he returned to Jerusalem, he was confronted by a group of Jews who were upset that he had eaten with Gentiles. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The Jews in that day had laws against eating with Gentiles, but those laws didn't come from the Bible. They came from the oral traditions of the elders, which were given by the rabbis, who claimed to have authority over the scriptures. However, Peter's vision showed him the error in those man-made laws, and so he explained to them the vision and interpretation as well. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me, when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered a man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John, indeed, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Notice that after Peter explained the vision, everyone understood the interpretation to be that God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. No one concluded that Peter's vision was about food. They all recognized that it was about taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Some people want to argue that God gave them a new interpretation of that vision, and they say that Peter's vision gives us permission to eat unclean animals. However, listen to what Peter says about giving your own private interpretation apart from what the scripture says. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. This means you cannot give any other interpretation than what is given in the Bible. You can't make up your own private interpretation of certain Scriptures. We have to let the Bible interpret itself. And the Bible is very clear that Peter's vision was about taking the gospel to the Gentiles and has absolutely nothing to do with food. And to say otherwise is a twisting of the Scriptures. Another verse that people like to cite as evidence that we no longer need to obey the food laws is in Romans 14.14, which says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. 
But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. They will quote this verse and claim this means there is no longer any unclean animals. This is a perfect example of taking a verse out of context and making up your own interpretation. We need to look at the context to see what Paul was talking about. Why don't we start at the beginning of the chapter? Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So we see here that Paul is talking about eating meat versus eating only vegetables. And he says the person who is weak in their faith only eats vegetables. Notice he also indicates that he is talking about doubtful things, which means he is talking about things that are not clear in Scripture. We looked at the verses in Leviticus 11 that clearly tells us which animals are food and which ones are not. So we can't conclude that eating unclean animals is a doubtful thing in the Scriptures. Next he says we should not judge or despise someone for these things. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I have seen vegetarians or vegans claim that eating meat is a sin, which leads them to make judgments about those of us who do eat meat. Paul is saying not to do that. If you choose to eat only vegetables, that's fine. But don't judge others if they choose to eat meat. However, nothing in this chapter has said anything about eating unclean animals. The only thing he addresses here is eating meat versus eating only vegetables. So we must be careful not to draw our own conclusions about something the Bible has not said. My whole life I ate whatever I wanted without any concern for what God thought about my food. I would eat pork or shellfish or various other things the Bible says are unclean. And I would pray, God bless this food. And I never realized that I was asking God to bless things He said not to eat. God has given us a variety of wonderful foods to eat. Fruits, vegetables, fish, meat, poultry, and bread, and various other things. And we should be grateful for His wonderful provision. God could have made us eat grass like cows, but instead He gave us a variety of good tasty things to eat. God is so good to us, yet we can be so ungrateful at times. When we choose to eat the things that God says not to eat, we are being ungrateful for the good foods He has given us. We are telling God that the food He gave us are not good enough, and we want something else. This is the same thing we see in the Garden of Eden, when God told Adam and Eve they could eat from all the trees in the garden except for one tree. They could have lived in the garden happily eating all sorts of fruits and vegetables, but instead they ate some of the forbidden fruit. They didn't obey God's simple rule about what they should not eat. Eating unclean animals is no different. Consider also that only clean animals were offered in the temple, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to defile your temple with unclean things, do you? I remember the first time I ordered pizza after I started eating kosher. I was looking at the menu and I realized that I had a choice to eat what I want or to eat the things that God approves of. This is when I understood that eating is an act of worship when we eat in obedience to God's commandments. Think about it. Every animal on your plate was killed to give you food. This is a type of sacrifice. And when we understand that our body is a temple, then eating is a type of worship. So, are we bringing holy sacrifices into the temple, or are we defiling it with unclean things? Thanks for watching. If you found this video helpful, then share it with your friends and family so they can unlearn the lies with us. If you want to see more videos like this one, subscribe to my channel. I want to say a special thank you to those who support this ministry. We truly appreciate your prayers and your generosity. Thank you so much. And remember, the truth will set you free. We'll see you next time.